Welcome to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. Um, if I'm halting here, it's because Pam, can you turn the sound up in the studio a little more? Because I'm like kind of dead in the in my ears. Okay, that's well, maybe a little bit better. We're having we're having sound crackly issues that station owner Nick Fedorov has not fixed yet. Um, so excuse us while we play with with the uh, electronics here. Welcome to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. You can find my movie reviews and interviews in print and online around the globe 24-7. But every Monday, I am right here on AdrenalineRadio.com, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, where we go behind the lens and below the line with directors, writers, composers, uh, television, film, stage, music. We've got it all, uh, and talking about all, we've got we've got it all today uh, with our with our thanks to our special guest today. I know last week we had said we were expecting um, former Bolshoi ballerina turned director uh, Alyssa Casanova with us today, but she is actually winging her way to Siberia today. Um, her film de- premiere date has been moved into pushed into July, so she is actually going to be joining us. In the month of July, time to that. Um, so those of you that were looking forward to that, I know Kristen Burt, Queen of Dance out there. Um, anything that deals with ballerinas, ballet, dance, dancing with the stars. Uh, so you think you can dance. Kristen is there. Um, so we will keep you informed as to when Alyssa is going to be with us to talk about her film, uh, Middle Ground. But today, some fascinating people today. Comedian Shane Moss. How many of you love the comedy of Shane Moss? I know I do. I have not seen his stand-up routines in clubs, but I don't miss him when he's done, you know, Conan and some of the other late-night talk shows. He is very, very funny, and he has a documentary out uh, called Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics. It is truly a psychedelic experience watching and listening to this documentary. As Shane kind of mixes science with comedy, um, you're going to learn more you ever wanted than you ever thought possible about mushrooms, peyote, and other hallucinogenic drugs in this documentary, um, which is actually filled with a lot of scientific interviews. And also there is a really interesting aspect in addition to the fun of uh, having Shane go through the experience of psychonautics so he can report on it himself. Uh, So he'll be joining us at the quarter hour mark. At the half hour mark, I'm very thrilled. Classic film fans, uh, I hope you're tuning in and listening to this. We're going to have actress Elaine Ballas with us. Elaine has been doing, you know, one-offs in TV for many, many years. Uh, she has been around. She's now in, she was in Dracula, Dead and Loving It, uh, the movie, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Going back on television, Eight is Enough, Quincy. Um, Elaine has been 
she has been one of those in the background or in a supporting role for decades. But something she was also a big part of was being a good friend to Marv Kaplan, legendary Marv Kaplan. Uh, a lot of you may know him from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, or his voicing of Choo Choo on Top Cat. For those of us in the ARP age group, we all know who Top Cat is. Uh, but Elaine is going to be here to talk about a film that she did with Marv. It turned out to be Marv's final film called Looking Up. And it was written by Marv and executive produced by him. And actually the end title song he wrote the lyrics to. Plus he is one of the stars of the film. Steve Gutenberg is the main star. It's very funny. Um, it's a look at a slice of life in the day of Steve Gutenberg's character. Um, and it is a laugh from beginning to end. And it does take on a great poignancy considering that Marv passed away in 2016 and didn't get to see the fruits of his labor with this film finally coming out into the world. So Elaine has actually picked up the torch and is championing the film on behalf of Marv and the rest of the, of the group. So she's going to be with us at the half hour mark. But to start the show off today, very excited. Um, new film out, dramatic film, Billy Boy, incredible character study, stars Blake Jenner. Blake Jenner, most of you will remember him uh, from Glee. Uh, he's done a few other things too. Edge of 17, Vanishing of Sydney Hall, and he's also in the new film American Animals. But Billy Boy is a true passion project for Blake. Uh, it's his first, first script, his first screenwriting credit, feature film. Uh, the film is directed by Brad Buecher. Brad's work you have seen forever. Brad was one of the primary directors on Glee, one of the major directors on American Horror Story. Um, trying to think what else, just all over. I mean, the entire cast and crew, because this was essentially done... It was written between season four and five of Glee, and then it was shot not too long thereafter. So cinematography is done by Joaquin Cedillo, who is a cinematographer on Glee and also works with Brad as a cinematographer on American Horror Story. So the film looks beautiful. Uh, and then a supporting cast of a great bunch of guys, Grant Harvey, who you can now see in The Crossing. Uh, you've also got Nate Stroud, Nick Eversman. Uh, Aramis Knight, uh, just an amazing group of young talents are in this film, but all led by Blake, who plays the character of Billy Boy, a young man at a crossroads in his life. So I had a chance to talk with Blake in a one-on-one -on -one earlier in the week, uh, last week, and then follow that up with Brad. And then, as luck would have it, on Saturday night, I moderated a Q&A with Blake, Brad, Grant, Josh, Nick, uh, Nate, Nick, and one of the producers, Robert J. Ulrich. And Robert, you may also, you know his work. He's been a casting director for many, many, many decades, going all the way back to the days of Father Dowling and Jake and the Fat Man. He has casted some of your favorite TV shows for the past almost 40 years. And now he has moved into producing and... He also was one of the casting directors of Glee. So you see this is a very gleeful experience behind the scenes for a very somber and introspective experience in front of the screen. 
So take a listen to my exclusive interview with Blake Jenner as he talks about creating and starring in Billy Boy. Hey, Blake. Hey, Debbie. How you doing? I am fine. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for the, taking the time to hop on with me today. Oh, my God. I'm glad you could make the time. I got to tell you, first screenplay, heavy drama like this, incredible character study, very well-developed characters. I, oh, appl- I, I applaud you. you. So, so well done, Blake. Oh, thank you. It's been a, it's been a long time coming, and our our director Brad's been the of this thing, you know, piecing it together and coming up with a cool way to to kind of you know portray the story. So that means that means so much to me. Yeah, thank you. I'm very, I'm curious because this is a very unique way that Brad has put the visuals together. Uh, in terms of, you know, having, like, footage going in reverse to demonstrate backtracks in time and flashbacks. And I'm curious how that comports with what you actually wrote in the screenplay. Did you work in transitions like that to go back and forth Um, in time? Honestly, in the first uh, version of it, there was uh, something kind of like that, I think. You know, it was... And in the first version, the first cut of the film, uh, you know, some some moments um, would just complement each other, going back and forth. But it wasn't it wasn't the way it is now. The way it is now, we kind of found it interesting to play with the you know a young teenager's uh, memories who's, who's going through a lot and his, his mind's kind of on hyperdrive. So we felt like that was way more fitting for this type of story to kind of match match Billy's adrenaline, you know, then you're kind of on, on the same wavelength with his mind as he's recollecting all these all these events. I mean, it's, you know, it's very unique. It's a very unique stylized way of telling this story, and it's very appealing when you watch it. And then you throw in the beautiful cinematography that Joaquin does. And I mean, everything he touched on Glee was always gorgeous, and American Horror Story, so I'm not surprised. But very... Oh, yeah. Very impressive. You know, where did this story come from, Blake? And especially in terms of developing the character of Billy, a young man, he's got, as all of us, a past and potential. I'm curious for how you developed, came up with this story and developed the character of Billy. Um, Because he is a young man who has, as all of us, a past but unlike many of us, he actually has potential. Uh, and you counter that with somebody like the character of Mikey, um, who he is forever stuck, and you see this. There is no potential for him to get out of the mess that he has created in, in the world. Um, so I'm very interested in your characterization and your structuring there in developing that. Yeah, well, you know, first off, I always... I've always loved movies like that, you know, that the you know the loss of the, the discovery and loss of potential, and 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 a young person, you know, who, who thinks who feels like all the odds are against them, and that you know he just wants someone to listen. You know, I, I love movies like Basketball Diaries and and Good Will Hunting, you know, movie, movies like that. Uh, you know, This Boy's Life, you know, movies like that. Growing up, I I, I always related to them in a certain way. No, I didn't go through the same thing. Those characters in those other movies, but you know, I feel like we all have the same 
you know, I felt I felt a similar emotional wavelength, especially you know with thinking about the past, and I, we've all felt lost, we've all felt misunderstood and angry. So I kind of just just kind of started writing that, writing it from from that corner of my heart. I didn't start planning or anything. I kind of just treated it like, as if I was like writing a diary for someone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kind of just got hooked, and I learned more about the characters as I as I kept going. And, you know, that that's what that's what kind of excited me, and I and I bounced the uh, the first nine pages off a couple of people, and they all they all told me to keep going, and so I t- so I decided to marry this idea and just like see it through, and you know obviously it was it was and I found it uh, you know it would be I knew it would be inspiring to play this character. I've always wanted to play a character like this, so so that that was the driving force. You know, I just kind of kind of. I'd never take it out on the script when I was writing it. If I didn't feel like I had any ammunition to bring to it, I'd leave it alone and let it breathe. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, that was the that was all the driving force of, of kind of diving into it and, and you know really feeling a sense of uh, attachment to the character and the story. Mm-hmm. And then of course your support, you know, the, the group around Billy. I got to say, Nathaniel Stroud. I love the character of Josh. <laughs> I love. I'm, so I'm going to tell him he said that. He's a good friend of mine. I'm going to tell him. He said oh, that. and the chemistry between the two of you on camera is absolutely beautiful. I really, really love seeing that dynamic between the two of you. But Nathaniel's performance as Josh is just so exuberant, uh, especially in the flashbacks. So wonderful. Then you bring in, um, you know, Mr. Adams. So loving. That's a part of the story that kind of that's where we really see the potential that Billy has because of moments in relationships like that as opposed to Grant Harvey's Mikey which I mean Grant plays delusional and off the and off the wall so well oh uh, yeah no, he's, a, he's, a, he's an extremely gifted actor Grant we, we, we were so lucky to get him and he he brings that, you know. He brings a, a, a you know. So anybody could could come in. I feel like and just play that role. So angry, you know, and just mm-hmm. mad, and just this evil guy. This this guy starts off as a friend, but he just becomes more and more evil as he go along. But uh, he brings like a real sense of empathy, you know, to that character, and like the sadness. And you know, he, he's just as lost as everyone else, except he he just he's he's so afraid of admitting it because the last thing he wants to seem like is weak. You know, that's that's his biggest fear of. You know, being being caught feeling vulnerable or anything like that. Um, so I thought, I thought he did incredible. And Nate, I mean Nate, Nathaniel Stroud, oh. um, who plays Josh. He, I just we just watched it last night with a crowd, and it, it makes me so because obviously this is a heavy story. You know, but it was, it was always meant to be that way. But uh, but he's the heart of the movie, and he he kind of comes when you really need him. And and, and you know, just hearing hearing the crowd laugh laugh with him and just enjoying his company and also also really enjoying him as a character when essentially you're you know you're getting to know him through memories you know so so he, he did a beautiful job and i loved working with him we started doing improv together in miami when i when we both lived over there so it was, it was just a treat getting to do this with him you know i'm curious blake how long ago did you write the script you know from the time you wrote it to uh, when you shot it till now Oh, well, I wrote this uh, between season, well, I started writing it between season four and season five of Glee. It was when I was like 20 and some change in that. Mm-hmm. And we've we've kind of been, you know, tweaking it, putting it together, finding out the right, you know, formula to tell this story with, uh, you know, for the, for the past few years. So we've actually, 
you know, we've had it. We've been dying to get it out there for quite some time. So it's been it's been about you know, and obviously we think time financing and all that stuff. So it's been about like a four year journey. So you know, as you sit and you look at it now and look back on it, has your perspective, have your thoughts changed? If you were to sit down and write this now, oh it, yeah. Yeah, I think that happens with, I mean, I think about that all the time. I think about that anytime I see myself in anything, too. I think you always feel like, you know, the brush strokes could be a little little different. And obviously I was, you know, writing from a certain uh, part of my heart when I was, you know, when I was writing Billy Boy that I, you know, I think has, has definitely matured and, and evolved from then. So it's, I always tell people it's strange seeing it now and finally getting out now because, yes, I, I, I do love the movie and everyone in it and, and, and we worked so hard on it but it's also kind of like a yearbook of experience you know you know like you change every day and this was we, we started shooting this when i was much younger so so it is it, it's interesting i'm kind of kind of seeing the version of kind of like older me kind of like taking a taking a walk down memory lane every time i watch it mm-hmm. you know now you're also producer on this film so i'm curious how involved were you in the production aspect, in terms of the casting and, you know, all those elements that go into the making of. Yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, I was definitely, I was, I was, I was there in the trenches with, uh, you know, Brad and our producers and everyone with, uh, with the casting side of things. And also I was there like with a helping hand with Brad, you know, creatively and we would collaborate. Okay. So every, everything on the creative, I I had eyes on, but uh, all the other things like, you know, well, and also I was taking meetings with the potential financiers and stuff, and, and kind of breaking down what the story meant to me and how I viewed it, and you know, getting starting to get funding that way. And we did a Kickstarter, which which I helped, you know, put that together and and put out there. And, but but everything, uh, you know, with building the structure of the fi- you know the the financial waterfall with with all the financiers and the producers and stuff, I, I didn't have any hand in that. Or, you know, there's, there's some, so, so mainly just anything creative was, you know, I had, I was, I was, you know, lending a helping hand with. Did you find the, this process of now stepping up, writing, acting, and having a hand in the, in the producing creativity, did you find any of that daunting, a big learning no, curve? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, but, you know, I, I, uh, I, I learned so much, I mean, the next time I do this, I, I learned things that I'll want, you know, to be part of the journey and, and how I go about things. And then, you know, other ways where, you know, I feel like there were easier avenues of, you know, getting a movie made, but you never know until you do it. So I, I, I definitely feel like I learned a lot that I would take and take into the next experience. Now, do you- but, uh, but it was, it was, it was daunting. You know, you never <laughs> think you're going to get a movie made. So many people write scripts that never, you know, come to life. And I, I felt like, you know, that was, you know, it was, that was just as easy to happen to us. But, uh, but yeah, it was. I tried to try to look at it as less daunting and just like a like a master class, like mm-hmm. every day, just being on my being on my toes and kind of just soaking it all in. And that was Blake Jenner, and there is still a little bit more of Blake to be heard, which you may have to listen to and read about on BehindTheLensOnline.net. But right now, I'm so excited. Big, big behind the lens welcome to Shane to Shane Moss. Welcome, Shane. 
Hi, how are you doing? Well, I am so thrilled to be talking to you, and big, huge congratulations. Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics, won the Audience Award for Best Documentary at Dances with Films last night. Yeah, we were uh, we were so lucky. The, the way the whole project came together, how it, how everything turned out in the end. I mean, I've, I've never done a film before, and I... Um, would have, uh, I, I think some of the reasons why I never even thought to make something like this was because I, uh, I assumed that it would take, um, an enormous budget and, and years and years of my life and still maybe not be something good. And we got for, uh, for a very small budget and a very short amount of time, we were able to uh, really put out something that, uh, that we were all happy with and and uh it it's it was just so fun to do and um and uh an interesting project well i have to tell you it's very fun to watch and it's also very interesting to watch you know give the audience an idea of what psychonautics a comics exploration of psychedelics is all about and what in the world prompted you to go on this journey of all journeys <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I can probably, why don't I start with the second question first and might answer both of them. All right. Um, I've, I've, been a, I've been a stand-up comedian for 14 years and kind of the last half of my career I've been doing various themed shows, um, much of which has been kind of trying to introduce uh, bigger concepts to audiences. I have a science podcast called Here We Are, where I interview a lot of neuroscientists and psychologists and biologists and that sort of thing. And so I like putting together uh, themed stand-up shows where I kind of introduce various ideas about evolutionary psychology or certain cognitive biases or whatever it might be. And um, And I happened to kind of be at the same time be sitting on all of this um, material about psychedelics because I've been um, doing mostly mushrooms for 20 years or so, but uh, some other psychedelics as well and for depression and as a creative aid and they've been something that have meant a lot to me. And, uh, and I started, um, I, I've, I've always kind of, been trying to figure out how do I get people to laugh about how the brain works and how perception and, and consciousness works. And, and that's been something that I've kind of struggled to figure out how to market exactly, not mm -hmm. that there's not an audience for it, but, but uh, figuring out how to reach them um, has been a challenge. And I happened to put together this little show about psychedelics just as kind of a passion project that I could do on the side of my other regular stand-up work. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the thing just really took off and turned into, like, a, uh, eventually it was a 111-city <laughs> tour with the show about psychedelics that I did. And in promoting that on various podcasts and whatnot, uh, the producer, Matt Schuler, uh heard me on Mark Maron's WTF and, um, and reached out to me and um, it thought that... Uh, it would be interesting to uh, work on some documentary regarding the subject. And we kind of hashed out some ideas. There happened to be this 
huge um, psychedelic uh, science conference happening, um, uh, like right after he called me, basically, that I was a part of. And so we went there and interviewed all the top um, researchers and and the psychedelic community currently working on treatments for PTSD and depression and that sort of thing. And, um, and then, uh, and then we were just kind of like, so I guess we just shoot me doing some psychedelics and showing kind of what, what the life is like for, uh, uh, for, uh, a kind of showing some of the research, but then also showing what, um, what the real life is like of, of someone that is uh, exploring these um, these inner worlds. And so that's how everything came together, and that's kind of what the, the movie is about, is, is my exploration into the world of psychedelics, which uh, was a really interesting kind of 20-year journey anyway, but sort of intensified during the filming. And as, uh, as the film shows, uh, things also got too intense mm-hmm. um, for me during the filming of this, which, which ultimately kind of made everything um, uh, more interesting because I, I had gone 21 years of, of using psychedelics very, very safely and incident-free and and then uh, we started filming this documentary, and I kind of upped my usage a little bit, and uh, and we we got to see um, where the line is of what happens when you do too many as well. So it was uh, it was it served as as um, not just to be something uh, informative and uh, exploration of of that world, but it was also kind of a warning to uh, to the psychonauts like myself that are out there exploring that, uh, that things can go, uh, can go wrong if you aren't careful. Well, and something that I really love about the documentary are all of the interviews. Um, you have interviews ranging from paleontologist Michael Garfield. You've got the fungus expert Eric Osborne, um, uh, Cole Marta, psychiatrist and a psychedelic researcher, you know, you've got uh, another a psychologist, James Fadiman. You have noted professionals who who are on board oh, for this, yeah. and that to me I yeah. found so fascinating because it actually it then gives even more credence to what you are trying to do, and you know, in finding that line, what is too much, what is not enough, and explaining the uses in treatment of PTSD and. Uh, psychiatric disorders. I mean, just absolutely fascinating. You know, and I know that Brian, your director, Brian uh, Belenkoff, I think Brian did most of the interviews. Um, with these sit-downs with them? Uh, we were all, all, it was a three-person project, and we were all the kind of there working together. And and uh, and so, so yeah, he he shot the interviews. I, I was asked, asking the questions mm-hmm. and everything, but it was like a, it was definitely the whole project was a team effort. You know, I'm curious, you know, how much research went into developing the format and nailing down the experts that you bring in on this? Because this, it, this isn't like getting up on a stage with your stand-up routine, but this is, you're giving some hard scientific stuff here with other people. Um, that are vouching for the accuracy of the information being imparted. 
So I'm curious how much time you had to spend to find these people, to get them to sit down and do interviews and participate in this a documentary of this nature. Well, this is where the timing of everything uh, just happened to be perfect. And it also, it was I was just kind of in a fortunate position in my life to do this kind of very thing, because I'm sure a lot of people that would watch this um, would, you know, obviously know that uh, these are interesting, kind of eloquent um, speakers mm-hmm. and doing interesting research. But, but what people in the psychedelic community would know that is that these people like James Fadiman and, and Dennis McKenna um, and, and others are, are kind of these uh, juggernauts in the, in the psychedelic research community. They're, they're, we really got the best of the best. And that all came together quite easily. Um, actually, we, we got so lucky because there just happened to be this big psychedelic science conference that I was also asked to be a part of and perform at. And, uh, and so it was three days long, and we went there and turned my hotel room into a studio. Uh, and, and the hotel room was inside of the conference center. And I was already kind of established on the the organization that um, uh, by founder Rick Doblin, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, uh, put on this conference, and they also sponsored my tour. And I was working pretty closely with the MAPS organization as kind of a cross-promotional. I was helping get the word out about their research. They were helping. Um, get the word out uh, through various cities about my shows. And and so I was already pretty heavily connected within the psychedelic community, and many of these researchers already knew uh, who I was. And then I also have, um, uh, like I said, I have a science podcast, mm-hmm. so I'm always talking with researchers um, anyway. So I kind of already had... Um, I, I knew the basics of all of this research. Uh, I, I learned a lot throughout the filming, mm-hmm. but I, I knew enough of the basics to ask um, enough of the questions, which was really all it was, was emailing, getting in touch with um, these these researchers who were, the people in the psychedelic community are so generous and giving with their time, and they were able to swing up to my hotel room slash studio for 30, 45 minutes during the conference. And mostly, I, I mean, I asked them questions and everything, but mostly I just asked them what they did and just let them go because mm-hmm. these were just fascinating people. That, and and these, these are also people that are used to doing interviews like this. Mm-hmm. I, for my science podcast, I'm, all, all, I'm always interviewing like someone who, say, studies zebra mussels, and, and it's their very first time ever talking with anyone who's a member of the media. Mm-hmm. Well, these psychedelic researchers are very used to talking with the media just because of the, the subject matter. It's something that people are, are very interested in. So they're used to doing a lot of, um, a lot of article interviews and, and that sort of thing. So a lot of these researchers were just so natural on camera and already knew exactly kind of what what highlights they wanted to get out there and mm-hmm. already kind of had their wrap down and everything. And so 
that really couldn't have been any easier than it was. It was, we were just so incredibly lucky. So that was the first thing we shot was just three days of those um, talking heads interviews that make the film. And then we filled in some other interviews later on. But yeah, that was the easy part. The hard part was figuring out what story we were actually trying to Mm -hmm. tell. And that's what ended up taking months of shooting and kind of re-editing things and and brainstorming and we left so much stuff on the cutting room floor of course like I'm sure everybody does and and then things that we just shot kind of goofing around not expecting to make the film ended up being being a highlight of the film like the opening scene me and face paint and and everything was kind of really just inspired from from us just um just goofing around we are off shooting some other stuff and and uh, and then we, the medicine woman I was talking to, had this glow in the dark um, <laughs> body paint, <laughs> yeah. and we were just kind of fooling around with it, really. And then um, the the genesis of the idea to open this the film by uh, kind of making me look like a crazy person uh, came and and made for this uh, really attention grabbing scene that also ended up. Uh, I didn't know I was actually going to go crazy. So just everything just worked out in such an odd and interesting and perfect way. You know, and then you've got some really great, very cool animation within the documentary. I mean, it's really so well put together, Shane, um, so that you are, you're keeping everybody's attention from that opening sequence of you and your paint, um, which as I'm watching it, it's like, Oh my God, where is this going? Is what I was thinking. And you had me immediately because it was so unique that I just wanted to see more. I wanted to see what is this, where is this taking me? Uh, and obviously, oh, your, thank you. obviously, your audience that dances with films uh, must have felt similarly for you to walk away with that audience award. Uh, but you do, you grab the attention. And you intersperse some of your stand-up routines, which is great. So anybody that doesn't know what a great comedian you are, they now get to see and go out and see you on the road, uh, <laughs> which I know you've, yeah. got, you've got shows coming up. Um, but, you know, it just it, it's so enlightening in terms of the perspective of psychonautics, but also the sciences, uh, psychiatry. Um, you know, psychology, you know, the paleontology. I, who knew? Who knew that mushrooms were actually found on the Iceman when he was <laughs> yeah. Because I knew all about the finding I, of the Iceman, but I didn't hear, I never heard about mushrooms being found on him. So... And I... I'm glad that's what you found so interesting because that's that's what that's the kind of stuff that really interested me as well, and that's the stuff that I, the the research and the information is what I really really aimed to get out to the public. And everything that I did and my stand up and everything else was just kind of a vehicle to make it fun and entertaining along the way. I actually at first didn't like the idea of including my stand up in the film and then when I saw the way that Brian was able to uh to use it to move the story along, mm-hmm. I I uh I I I ended up being convinced that it was uh the right way to go and, and something that 
that is also because we're we're not the first people to do a documentary about psychedelics either. So this uh, that was something that really really differentiated ours um, from others was that I am a comedian and we had a little more fun with it and took it a little more serious or, or uh, t- took ourselves a little less seriously. But um, but ultimately uh, the the research and the information is what I care most about getting out into the world. This is a subject that is really important to me. And I think, uh, really in, important to, uh, uh, to all of us. I, I wish, um, I, I wish there was more research being done. I, I see a lot of opportunity within the fields of psychedelic research to create some really positive, uh, change, not just in terms of, of, uh, curing PTSD and depression, which I don't think that there is any better treatment right. uh, than psychedelics, but in terms of uh, just increasing people's overall well-being and satisfaction with themselves and, and, um, and even um, as increasing creativity. It's something that, uh, that's been very good to me for 21 years, so I'm just trying to give back to it and kind of spread the word. So, unfortunately, we're all out of time, but before I let you go, um, where does the film go from here? Any more festivals? Well, that's a great question. Any di- I mean, any we distributors just won the award yesterday, <laughs> and so we're definitely hoping to leverage that to get, uh, you know, a, a great distribution deal, and um, I mean, we we all, you know, would ideally like to get our money back and maybe make some money off of it or whatever. But for me, it's really not about that at all. I just want the most number of people to see it as possible because, um, one, I care about getting this information out there. And, and, and two, this is also, as you said, just kind of a great promotional effort for, for myself and my regular touring. So, so even if I never made a penny off of this film, but a lot of people saw it, this would still be very, very beneficial for, for my career. So uh, having won the award yesterday is going to open up a lot more possibilities for us, hopefully. And I'm, uh, I'm excited and optimistic that it's going to be on, uh, on, on a kind of big platform for people very soon. Well, I can honestly say the very first distributor that popped into my mind when I saw the film was Gravitas Ventures. Um, yeah. If I if I were Gravitas, I would be gravitating towards this film and taking a look at it. In all honesty, Shane. Um, well, the- that's that's great to know. I um I, I mean we're we're uh, Matt, the producer, and Brian and I are sitting down this week and kind of hashing out our plan for what's next. So, so that's definitely going to be something we're going to talk about. Well, Shane, thank you so, so much for joining Behind the Lens today. Thank you. I hope you'll come back on the show because you're always doing something fascinating, and I would love to have you have you back. Oh, I would love to be back. Thank you. Oh, Shane, thank you so much. So everybody needs to mark their calendars and put it on their radar. Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, okay, and now, very patiently waiting, and I'm so glad she did, El- the wonderful Elaine Ballas is joining us. Hello, Elaine. Hello, how are you? Is your day going well? My day is going well, and it's going even better having you on the phone 
to talk about oh, a film, a film that I think is absolutely, it's witty, it's, it's wonderful, and it is the child of the beloved Marv Kaplan. Oh, absolutely. And the thing that was so wonderful about the film, and each time you watch it, you see something new, and you love it, and um, at the screening that they had at the Lemley, they um, had Steve Gutenberg, who starred in it. Mm-hmm. They had him come and talk, do a Q&A, and he said how he really tried to emulate Marvin, and he really did. He did. You know? <laughs> he did, and he did such a great job. Steve is such a talented actor, and I mean, such a giving actor. Everybody loved working with him, and he was so giving to all the other actors, and even the fans who came because they said, oh, we can, you know, exit you, you know, through the back way, and Steve goes, no, let me go meet them. I'm fine. You know, mm-hmm. and he took pictures and signed autographs. So I cannot say enough wonderful things about everybody in the cast, starting with Marvin, who is like the most delightful, was the most delightful human being. And I mean, it carried down to Steve, who was absolutely wonderful. And he did a wonderful job in the movie. And it's already won a couple of awards at film festivals, mm-hmm. and Sarah Ballantyne is doing such a great job of submitting it everywhere that, you know, she thinks it's going to be. So she heard today that um, the Burbank Film Festival, it's a finalist there. So I'm really excited. I just want everyone to see the movie because it's so charming and so delightful and and Marvin gave people who normally wouldn't get a chance in Hollywood a chance to work, mm-hmm. you know, because there are a lot of older, older meaning for women over 25. That's it. That's... And, you know, and for men, a lot of character actors. And it's basically a character actor-driven film. It, oh, and Marvin definitely. is so good to, to people. And he wants older people to work. He goes, just because they're older doesn't mean they can't act. Yeah, I mean, Marvin, I, I, I ran into him numerous times over the years uh, various, on various sets when I was doing production and then hanging out in the valley. Um, but I got, had, got to sit down and do a, a really lovely interview with him at TCM Film Festival a few years ago when he was there for the screening of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And I got oh, yeah. to tell you, the, the fans, those classic film fans, they love him. And so many were surprised. Oh, oh, and so many were surprised. And I, Marv, even, he was laughing because I said, did you ever think there you were, your very first film role with Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn and Adam's Rib? Did you ever think you'd end up here? on the TCM Classic Film Festival red carpet, and he was just grinning from ear to ear and laughing as only Marv could laugh. And he was so excited. And people were just amazed. He he is, and he was such, you know, he was president of AFTRA when Mm -hmm. SAG and AFTRA were separate. Yep. And he did so much for so many people, and he even got it so that if, 
older actors, like once you hit 70, mm -hmm. if you really couldn't afford it, your dues was now free. Right. If you had been paying dues, I think it's like 10 or 20 years or something like that, that, you know, you were a member of the union. And he used to have readings. He started the readings with the Writers Guild. He partnered with them so that actors could, you know, get exposure to other people and other guilds. He did so much to help people. He was such a people person, yeah. you know. And it was such a shock when he passed, and it was like none of us can, you know, even believe or accept it. Yeah. And it's almost two years. It's just he was so great. And so I think all of us are just hanging on tenaciously to the work that we did with him and the experiences we had with him because he was so wonderful. Yeah, and, and as you said, you know, this film is built on character actors. And it really right. is, it is a character actor's dream. Uh, and, so, and the way that Marv wrote this film and structured it and TJ directed it, breaking things into little vignettes um, through the course of the life of the Steve Gutenberg character and his just, right. you know, depression and just miserable and his life is just horrible and you play and Marv created and then all of you perform so beautifully. You play into these oh, characterizations like the Yentas, the little talk show, the Yentas. Oh. <laughs> I was rolling, rolling watching those sequences. Oh good. Uh, oh good. Yeah. That was it was such a fun time and it was such a fun set and What's even more fun is that when we go to a screening of it or something, everyone genuinely is excited to see one another. And the fact that Steve came out and was a part of it and was so gracious to everybody, didn't act like he was a star or better than anybody. He was just so giving in every way. I can't say enough things and I can't say that Marvin could have picked anyone better to kind of almost portray him. Yeah. You know, he it had the, just, the voice. It was wonderful. It was such a wonderful experience. I mean, the way Steve, because as soon as he opened his mouth, I'm like, he's doing Marv. He's doing Marv. Exactly. And, exactly. You know, then he's hunching over a little. He's got the pants hiked up and it, it just, right. I'm like, Oh my God, he's doing Marv. And that just made it, even more wonderful watching it, knowing that Marv had written this script. Um, right. Because it's his thought processes and his words that are there, and then you see them coming to life through Steve's performance. And, it I mean, it oh, just it makes wonderful. the film. It really does. And it was really funny because when we did the first read-through, you know, just around the table and everything, the difference between that read-through of Steve and when it actually got to the film, mm -hmm. oh, my God, Steve really, <laughs> I mean, he was brilliant at doing the character. Brilliant, you know. And it was just, he just embodied Marvin. And I think he spent a lot of time with him from the first read to the time they shot it. And... He was so good, and I know Marvin loved Steve, and I know Steve loved Marvin, you know. So it was it was beautiful. Only positive, positive things can be said about that film, and 
each time you watch it, you notice something different and how funny and a different character actor. And mm-hmm. it, it was great. It was great. It's, I hope that uh, Marvin's Foundation will continue to produce, you know, his mm-hmm. scripts because he's got a lot of scripts. Oh. I know that they also did a um, web series. I haven't seen that, but there's that. And he's got other movies, and I just pray that the foundation continues on, and Marvin and his work and his words will, you know, be out there forever. Oh, because, I mean, he was a prolific writer. He was always working on something. Always working on something. Always. Uh, so- always. And he's so great, and he'd always call his friends up or something, and he would give you a shot in the arm and say, you know, I just love your work. I'm going to, I want you to do this part, you know? Mm-hmm. And it would be like, really? You know, it's like, you even know who I am? <laughs> but I just, you know, it was, it was so great. When he did his first film, um, he had certain character actors on that were unbelievable. Like he had Connie Sawyer, the late Connie Sawyer. Mm-hmm. And at that time, she was somewhere in her 90s. And, um, you know, he'd call her kid. Hey, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. And so it was was so wonderful to, um, you know, to be a part of really such talent. And even Steve had mentioned, he goes, you know, the film nowadays are so different and you don't the only way you're really going to get um real experience is by working with all these really amazing talented actors Mm -hmm. you know they are just because they know it they've been there they've done it all and it's just so wonderful to get that experience from them yeah you know and Nothing's blowing up or, you know, you're not worried about the CGI fixing everything or anything like that. And so it's truly, you know, an actor's dream and especially a character actor's dream, well, you know, to have any of this work done. You know, and what's so great about Steve, I did an interview with him earlier in the year, I think in Feb- back in February. But he was in a film that was totally done by students written by students, production designed by students, directed by students, cinematography by students. And his whole thing is he wanted to give them a chance to work with working Hollywood actors. And he stepped in, as did quite a few other notables. And I just thought that was so fabulous. So it doesn't surprise me that he would be in a film of Marv's, considering that's the same philosophy that Marv has always had with, you know, giving people the opportunity to work with the working actors, give them experience, you know. Um, So this was definitely a perfect filmmaking marriage for my money. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I can't say enough nice things about um, Steve because he's so kind, he's so generous, he's so professional, and if you're... As professional or want to learn, 
he's definitely there to be your cheerleader and mm-hmm. help you on, you know, to guide you. And so I didn't know about the student film that you're talking about, but it definitely sounds like something Steve would do. Yeah. You know, it's just definitely something he would do because he is so kind and so generous with his time, his talent, you know, extending his talent to people. And, I mean, as they say, you you learn by example, and he sets a great example Mm -hmm. on the set. Well, you know, I'm curious, Elaine, for you, because you've been bouncing around the industry for many decades. Uh, I mean, you were yeah. doing bit parts back, you know, Eight is Enough, Quincy, you know, and then you were in some more notable films. But, you know, the industry has changed so much from when you started, uh, you know, up until now. I mean, now you're in on the Urban Movie Channel um, in, the rich and right. the, in the Rich and the Ruthless. In a, a recurring... Yes, and we started season two, which <laughs> started airing um, on the Urban Movie Channel. And I think season one is on the Urban Movie Channel and Amazon Prime now. So there's no excuse not to watch it. And that's another one that's just wonderful. I mean, we did a... a Twitter session. We were tweeting all Friday. I'm not sure what I was doing, but I'm sort of technically challenged. But um, anyway, it was so much fun. And one of the questions was, what was your favorite thing about season two? And I said, seeing all the people from season one. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was and it, it was the truth, because even though they say, like, on soap operas and the way it's written, you know, it's all the backstabbing, the divas, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And so um, it was like, there was none of that. Everyone got along so well and loved each other. And the only thing I miss, I pray that there's a season three <laughs> so I can see all those people again. And I loved doing, you know, um, they had a... We were at um, the African-American Film Festival because The Rich and the Ruthless, just to give you a little back history or the viewers of back history, it's um, the the only, really, the first and the only um, black-owned soap opera. Mm-hmm. And so um, the cast is predominantly black, but that's not really true. You know, I would say it's more like about maybe 60, 40, mm-hmm. you know, I, but then when you're working with them after a while, to tell you the truth, you don't know the difference between black and white. They're just a person, an actor that you're yep. working with. Yep. You know, it's not like you're going, oh, so-and-so's this or so-and-so's that for the demographics. And there were some Hispanics, some Asians. I mean, everybody's on that show, so you can't, Say, but I would say predominantly, and it was produced, directed, and of course starring Victoria Rao, who mm-hmm. was from um, The Young and Restless and yep. also Diagnosis Murder. And then she had her good friend Michael Tucci on, and he was also, I didn't even realize that Michael Tucci was in Greece. Yes. You know? It's like, oh my goodness. And um, that's just, I love everybody. And we won for Best Ensemble in a Comedy at the Independent Awards. 
And we were so excited. I mean, when they say, what do you think about when you win? You're just, for the first time, at least for me, you know, it was like, I was in total shock. <laughs> I did, you know, it's like, you better get up and stand up and go on stage, you know. But it was just, it was great. And the best part was sharing it with all of the people. Mm-hmm. You know, how have you, you know, how have you managed to navigate and survive? I mean, here you are, a recurring role in a series, going into season two, you know, but over the years, the way everything has changed, um, you know, it's very difficult when you're a character, actor, actress to, you know, stay viable, stay vital and keep getting jobs. So I'm curious how you have managed to navigate over the, over the decades. Well, part of it, I think I'd have to say comes from my my discipline and training and roots as a professional ice skater because um, when I was skating, it was very different between professional and amateur in those days. And also, when I first started skating, they were still doing school figures. So um, it it was a very different time. But the discipline from skating... And you just always kind of keep your eye where you want to go and what you want to do. And um, it's always like, I guess I learned that it was always between me and the ice. So if I skated longer, I would get better, you know, and trained harder. And I think I took the same discipline from skating into acting. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when you're not doing something or you're not working a lot, I, you know, created my own show, Campy Lane, and different versions. And I'm working on a new one now called The Misadventures of Campy (laughs) Lane, but Mrs. M-I-S-S. Aha! (laughs) <laughs> and so um, I'm doing it that way, and it just kind of keeps your mind going, and it keeps you creative, and no matter what job or, you know, side job you would have to take, to me, it was like everything is showbiz, so I had no fear of talking to anybody or, you know, using lines on them, you know, sometimes it didn't work, but... Sometimes it did, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and just, I think more than anything, as Mel Brooks so succinctly states, if you don't have passion, you don't have anything. Yeah. And um, he has been such a wonderful mentor. I mean, he's my favorite person in the world, Uh, but he's been such a wonderful mentor to me and, you know, things that he's taught me and this is what you say or this is what you do and you can't get much better than Mel Brooks, you no. know, and I, I'm trying to convince him to do Spaceballs, too. <laughs> I think everybody would like I to just, see that. I come on, Mel, we need a good comedy. There just isn't good comedy out there. Well, you know, before we run out of time in the show today, I have to ask you, what, what, is, what is this I hear you may be doing, Pizza Boy Massacre? Oh, well, let's just say that that director whom I absolutely love and adore, and is a wonderful director. He, um, he was doing romantic comedies, and now he wants to do a horror flick. And so he's trying to get that going, and he keeps 
as I joke with him, I go, you keep threatening to do it, but we haven't seen it yet. But in July, uh-huh. I'm doing a great movie based on a play by Raphael Boonwell, whose father was Louis Boonwell. And I'm probably butchering their last name. But anyway, um, it's a two-person play, and it's called Love Without Hairs. And it's kind of a dark comedy. So that I'm really excited. But there are only two people. So, you know, I'm one of them, and there's a guy. And um, we have to carry the whole movie because there's nobody else. (laughs) Wow. So that starts shooting in July? Yeah, it starts in about two and a half weeks. Wow. Well, at least at least keeps you off the streets and working hard during the summer. Well, you know what? And it keeps my mind going because there's over 100 pages of dialogue <gasps> to memorize. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a lot. That's, so I that's, know. That's Mel like a Shakespearean said, monologue. Mel and, both said, Mel and Steve both said, Elaine, cue cards. But they're not willing but um (laughs) luckily i'm working with someone who's a very talented actor so i keep you know i just kind of go with it (laughs) and he's strong in improv so if we miss the line let's just go with it you know and they'll yell i'm sure (laughs) well unfortunately we're all out of time today elaine this has been a real treat having you i hope you'll come back on the show you know, when your film Anytime. gets, oh my God, this is such Anytime. a joy. You know, in the meantime, as you're getting ready to go off and shoot your film with 100 pages of dialogue, um, <laughs> people can catch you. They can go to the Urban Movie Channel. They can see you in The Rich and the right. Ruthless. And they can be on the lookout for Looking Up, which hopefully. Oh, Looking Up is so good. It's, you know, they should look for it in film festivals. And I think once they exhaust all the film festivals, it'll probably, go to distribution. I know they're going to get. It'll go to TV or you know um, a streaming platform. Right. It's such a good movie that I hope people will, if they are into film festivals or independent films, I hope they'll remember the name "Looking Up" because it is a delightful movie. It is. It is so delightful. And I just love it and so proud of it and had such a great time doing it. Oh, well, Elaine, I personally, it's witty and it's wonderful. And I am so glad that that is, you know, the final mark, you know, that, that with Marv. Um, until somebody, puts oh, his, I know. you know, puts his other, his other works, you know, brings them to the, to light. But for actually seeing Marv on screen and his amazing talent. It's it's a very fitting, that, very fitting. Fun to see him on screen. Yes. Oh my gosh! And the scene with him and um, Steve is so delightful and charming. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's nothing not to love in this film. There is something for everyone, and I Absolutely. I, I can't recommend it heartily enough. So everybody, you know, check the festival schedules around the country. Um, and as I get Absolutely. any, and as I get any updates, you know, I'll let the listeners know as well, you know, where they might be able to find the film until it gets a home somewhere. Um, right. But, uh, and in the meantime, they can watch me on, they sure can. Um, well, they can even go to YouTube and see some of the older cat feelings. Okay. And they can go to UMC to see, um, the rich and the ruthless. 
And then they're going to have to wait, though, until after this movie is finished. (laughs) And then I'll come back and tell you all about it, how we did with 100 pages of dial over 100 pages of dialogue. I'm going to hold you to that, Elaine, because I want to know. So, okay. Oh, Elaine Ballas. That's it. Elaine Ballas, thank you. Oh, so are you. And I will talk to you again soon, Elaine. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Elaine Ballas. Put it on your radar, people. Looking up. And, yes, I've already seen a couple episodes of The Rich and the Ruthless in which Elaine is one of the supporting players. Definitely see it. Uh, And that is all the time we have today. Next week, we're going to be talking about Icarus Must Die. So until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.